Hello, friends. Welcome back to the podcast. In today's conversation, we have Caleb Abney. This is Caleb's third appearance on the podcast. If you missed the first two episodes, I'll put those in the show notes below so you can go check them out. Since the recording of this episode, Caleb was hired as the head baseball coach at Lancaster Bible College in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. As always, if you enjoy this conversation and find value in it, I encourage you to reach out and follow Caleb on Twitter at CABNY18. I will include the link in the show notes below. Also, if you enjoy this episode and all the episodes of the podcast, you can get video access to all of the episodes as well as instant access to all of the episodes before they drop on Apple and Spotify with our brand new podcast premium. You get 40% off with code podcast for a limited time only. So go follow the link in the show description below um, and you can get that discount. I'm also giving away with that subscription two memberships to our flagship starter courses, Foundation of Throwing, and First Principles of Hitting. Uh, That's over $350 worth of savings on the best content that we offer. So if you want to go do that, you want to support the show, uh, be sure to follow the link in the description below. What's up, dude? What's up? We got no feedback in the ears today. Can you hear me? I got you. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, we are good to go. No feedback in the ears today. Uh, not, not, not today. That's good. You got any on your end? Oh, I'm good, man. Good. Yeah, I was. How uh, are things? They were. They are. They are good. Um, um, things, things, things are good. We uh, I actually had a uh, <laughs> had some technical difficulties on a Zoom call yesterday. So um, you did? Yeah. Yeah, I was I was actually on an interview yesterday. Um, nice. Uh, the uh, the head coach I was talking to was having some having some troubles, but we ended up getting it figured out. So <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. So so things on the on the job front are progressing along. Okay, you don't have to go into the specifics. Just yeah, yeah. So I've I've had a few conversations here and there, and uh, had some interviews and. Um, Nothing is nothing is quite fleshed out just yet, but um, conversations are a good thing, and and I for am sure. thankful for them anytime they take place. So uh, I'm just trying to be be thankful for it and enjoy the process as much as possible, and you know try to do everything I can to you know to make to make the right decisions through it. So, but if um, you want to score more runs, man, this is an easy decision. This is a very <laughs> easy decision. If you, you want, want to score more runs, runs yeah. And Absolutely. value runs for your offense. Nah, this you don't need reasons. runs. Runs are nah. stupid. Nah, nah. Who needs runs. That's stupid. <laughs> stupid. Yeah. So last time we talked, I was thinking about this. I was looking at who has been on the Joe Rogan podcast the most. <laughs> I think yeah. Joey Diaz. I think I read Joey Diaz has been on his podcast like 60 times. Are you a big Rogan guy? I love Rogan. Yeah, he's the man, isn't he? I love Rogan. Mm-hmm. Um, I like his diversity. I like how I like how he can just talk to like brain surgeons one day, and then the next day he's talking to people like me, who, you know, just yep. a guy who's got some interesting things maybe to say that he's. Yep. I've wrecked enough, you know. I've wrecked enough proverbial you know, cars to know which direction the road is. Like, don't mm-hmm. go this way. There's potholes down this road. Yeah. Like, try to stay on this road. 
Yeah. There might be a pothole. There's less potholes over here. Yeah. Um, last time we talked about – this is our third time on here, by the way. We did it with Nick. We did it with Nick during yeah. COVID. Yeah. You and I, and then today. I'm racking um, them up, aren't I? I don't remember exactly – I don't remember exact. Oh, I, I think I remember about, you know, philosophy and coaching the team. I don't think we've talked about what I had in my mind, which is something that I get cornered with a lot, which is Chad doesn't care about mechanics. Mm. And we touched a bit on that, I think, last time. in, But I wanted to maybe get a bit more specific and give you maybe a situation to where here's what I got, you know, and get your thoughts on uh, going about fixing it is the wrong word, but it's kind of the right word because when you go from the batted ball outcome back, you are somewhat fixing the batted ball outcome, the problem with the batted ball outcome. You know, in the situation I want to talk about, Chad doesn't care about mechanics, and, and and I usually answer that question with, that's not entirely true. Like, that's not completely true. You know, I think there are some things that are going to help you optimize your variability, going to help you optimize your speed. They're going to just get you in a position to, to better uh, what Brian Eisenberg, I did a roundtable with Brian Eisenberg like two days ago, calls leverage, oh. creating a swing with the most leverage. Yeah. You know, you, you want to create a swing that's going to give you the most window of opportunity um, for success. Here's what I'm going to give you. And we can work backwards from here. You got a guy, hits the ball hard enough, call him 95, 100 miles an hour exit velocity, high school or college on the, on the top end. But he hits a lot of ground balls. Hits a whole lot of ground balls, which we know is not optimal. You know, right. he's getting pitches middle-middle. He's hitting ground balls. Uh, he's getting, you know, he's swing plane. If, you, if you've used a blast or a diamond kinetic swing tracker or whatever, and you're coaching this cat, his swing planes are low. Uh, and his batted ball launch angles are also low. How would you go about, in a world of Chad doesn't care about mechanics, you know, you see a guy who's maybe too upright, he's maybe too upright with his swing posture at the start of his swing, and because of that, you know, his swing is – He's kind of disconnecting and pushy at the ball because of that. Mm-hmm. He has no other option to get to a ball that's below his belt and other to just try to go reach for it. How do you attack that? How do you attack that without becoming too specific? Because I think you can be, you can try to, again, I think we all know at this point, if you've listened to all the ground tapes with Caleb, where you land in giving them explicit instructions. Mm-hmm. You know, but how do you go about this guy or this girl attacking this problem? So I think about it in terms of, and as you mentioned, we've talked about this before, and I know you're a big believer in this as well, um, how, how, how I believe, and I'm not, I'm not the only one from an athletic skill, skill development standpoint, there are a lot of researchers and scientists and, and, and people who are a lot smarter than than me that have looked into this, um, it is it's about two things: the task that you're asking them to do and what they're focusing on, their cognition, their intentions, what they're trying to accomplish, um, and how you 
manipulate that task that to to help them uh, find better solutions that are actually going to work in the game. And um, it's the in it's the environment that you're placing them in and how close that is to replicating the game. So it's task and environment. Um, so it's manipulating whatever constraints that you have to work with within the task um, to help get them to a better place where they have more effective functional solutions that are going to achieve what it is you want them to do in the game that's going to be more productive. And in the specific case that you're mentioning, hitting balls hard but on the ground, um, you honestly, the first thing that came to my mind as far as manipulating the task is hitting plyos. Um, I'm a big fan of hitting plyos. Um, and if you are working with a guy who, uh, a guy or a girl, um, who is, um, who hits, hits, hits the ball hard, but it's at negative launch angles. It goes on the ground. It's, it's, it's hard. It's 105, 110 mile an hour ground balls, um, that are not super useful from a run scoring standpoint. Um, I love working with hitting plyos because it gives you feedback on if you hit a ball um, on a line, let's say it's a 12 degree launch and you have a negative swing plane, your barrel is going down when you make contact with that and it's that inefficient contact. Um, the ball may come off and it looks like a line drive if, if, if you're hitting a baseball. You do the same thing with a hitting plyo and it's just going to, right? Um, right. and the sand is going to go, you know, it's going to cause the ball to just kind of fall off to the side. And it's going to be very clear that you didn't make clean flush contact with that, with, with that plyo ball. So that is the primary reason why I, um, I like using those. And if I'm trying to get a guy specifically to work on, be able to hit balls harder, his highest or his hardest hit balls are a little bit higher up from a launch angle standpoint. They're, they're that in that line drive range. Um, I'm going to ask him to try to hit the ball even higher than that to sort of overcorrect and sort of overload uh, uh, as far as his focus to try to get him to get the ball up in the air even more so that once he's actually in a game or over time, if he hits balls at, you know, 30 degrees on a consistent basis, then maybe that brings him closer to that 15 degrees or whatever it is that you want him at on a consistent basis when it actually comes time for the game. So um, that, that was the first thing that came to my mind is using hitting plyos because it gives that immediate feedback that uh, is going to be the most useful. Um, and it's something that, that I can introduce from a task standpoint. Um, it's a constraint that I can introduce that then uh, I don't have to say much. And I know we've talked about this before. I don't right. have to explicitly tell him, hey, you're swinging down, swing up. Hey, you're hitting too many ground balls. Like, don't right. do that. Um, it actually helps him get feedback and he figures it out on, on his own. Um, the other part about, and, and this is both task and environment uh, that is kind of introduced here a little bit more, is adjusting his cognition. Um, adjusting his intention, what he is trying to accomplish. So I am probably with that specific guy going to be asking him, uh, as I kind of mentioned earlier, to try to hit the ball higher 
than maybe a guy that already hits the ball high, I might ask him to hit it lower so that he sort of overcorrects and adjusts the opposite direction. Right. Um, but I am consistently going to be asking this dude. We actually had a guy at at uh, at Covenant this past year um, hit the ball hard, um, uh, but had a very almost like the same type of guy that you just described. Um, would hit the ball hard on uh, the ground. He had uh, a, a pretty downward swing swing plane. I mean, to the eye, um, to the naked eye, and on a blast sensor. Um, and it was a very down and across type of swing. So I said, um, uh, and I actually learned, uh, actually kind of learned this, this uh, little trick from when I was with the twins. Um, I actually told him to hit a pop-up that landed on second base. Um, it, just to overcorrect the complete opposite right. direction to get him behind the ball and working up through it. Um, right. And it was amazing how I would just say, Ken, hit a pop-up a second. Ken, hit a pop-up a second. And um, it like immediately helped him feel better. And he was trying to hit pop ups to second, and he was hitting line drives to the middle of the field. And he was like, sure. "How is this? How is this working?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, for it sure. Was because I adjusted his intentions and his cognition and what he was trying to accomplish, and that kind of brought him back to the middle. So um, that's a long way of saying um, I would adjust his intentions. Um, within the task and environment that I'm giving him and I would manipulate the constraints so that he could have better feedback, whether he is actually getting those good results or not. Do you, let's, let's, let's go back even further to let's, if you're a high school coach and let's say you've got some young players that aren't quite to the physical strength of maybe a college player or a pro player, your high school coach, and you, and you had these players. How much time, because part of this, in some instances, could be physical deficiency, right? They, they couldn't, they may not be strong enough. It may not be stable enough to, to, to be able to, to, to turn forward posture into side bend and try to go fast. You got a strength conditioning background. How would you identify that, or if you is am, am I in the wrong field? Is that even a thing? Yeah, so I think that that gets back to the general performance prep that you know in every sport that we should be emphasizing, and it should be very important. So I think that that, and I think we had talked about this the last time we talked oh, a little bit, a um, little bit, yeah, yeah, but not much. Um, I think it's designing a um, as specific as you can to the sport that you're training. Obviously, like you want elements of your sport and the types of uh, the types of areas that you need mobility, flexibility, strength, power in in uh, plain plain specific ways to your sport. You design your strength and conditioning program around that. Um, you also take into account the energy systems that are being impacted. Um, so uh, it's it's designing your strength and conditioning program so that they are working on those types of things in the weight room, and then you might address it a little bit um, in a warm up and uh, some sort of preparation before you actually get into the cages to start to hit. If if it's something that isn't an explicit thing that a hitter maybe has been struggling with or something that you identify as 
maybe something that might help him, but I say maybe because I think there's more uh, there's more of a shroud of doubt in my mind around, you know, we say things very uh, confidently. I'll use that word. We say things very yeah. confidently as coaches, uh, like, oh, well, you you have to do this or you or you can't do this or you must have this level of mobility or you must get into this position in order to be successful. Right. And we identify these um, supposed de- deficiencies in hitters that don't fit that mold that we want them to be in. And we go about designing their preparation, um, whether it's with a bat in their hands or not, um, around trying to prioritize those positions or those specific pieces of mobility that we think that they should have. And my issue with that is there are successful hitters and there are successful athletes in all kinds of different sports that have a wide range of different mobility skill sets and strength and power profiles. um, And they're just all over the map. And so to me, my my question and my doubt would be um, because, and I know you're you are very similar. I I operate as a coach under quite a bit of doubt on a daily basis. Yeah, <laughs> doubting, <laughs> doubting yeah. whether whether I have the right answer. Yeah, um, if I'm just completely way way off base, like if I say something confidently or I feel very strongly about my particular perspectives that I have today, I'm probably going to be questioning it tomorrow just because I, you know, anytime I get to a point of supposed certainty, I'm like, well, that's probably not a good thing. I probably need to be questioning that. Um, right. So that and and I'll, be, I'll be quite frank with you too. I am the same way, but I find a peace of mind, I guess it's a good way to put it, peace of mind in the fact that we are gathering we're gathering batted ball information on every ball that's hit in our building. Yeah. We are, as much as we possibly can, gathering. And these pieces of technology, we've talked, I think maybe we touched on this, maybe we don't. I've talked about this in this podcast a lot. It's, technology doesn't make decisions. Like, as a coach, yeah. my hit tracks is not telling me what to do. It's just informing uh, my decision better, and, and on the this is this is a story on the throwing end of it. You know, we've we've been I've been in the weeds with driveline on their pulse sensor, their throwing sensor for like a year. You put it on your elbow, it gives you stress readings, it gives you these things, and it's just building a body of information that gives me peace of mind. It's like we're less wrong than we otherwise would be if we didn't right. know. Yeah. You know, I was talking, I saw a, like, to give you another example, I saw a driveline TikTok the other day. Uh, one of the trainers, one of, I don't remember which one it was, but he said, you know, in our 90 mile an hour pitcher bucket, the average weight of the guy is 212 pounds. Wow. And so I sent it to the dad and I said, look, if our goal is to throw 90, and this information, which they have a big bucket of information on pitchers, says that the average weight of the 90-mile-an-hour throw is 212 pounds, we probably need to get near that. And if we're going to get near that, then we need to gather as much information as possible. And a simple tool like 
a Fitbit that gives me calorie burn to know my level of activity, to know how much food or fuel I need to take in on a day-to-day basis. And, 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 you know, it's important. Like this information is important if I have to get to 212, which the information tells me I need to get to 212. Now, is that a guarantee? No, it's like, it's like all the other this stuff. It's like I operate in a high level of doubt most every day within myself. I don't need to go to hitting Twitter for people to question what I'm doing. I do that plenty enough. Mm-hmm. And so it's just the, the body of information that you have to inform and, der- and drive your perspective, I guess, is maybe a good way to put it. You yeah. know, because like you said, I'm the same way. And this is why representative fastballs is important in the build in the, in the training because I'll give you an example we've got I've got a, a young player a very good hitter with very high barrel awareness hits the barrel in any kind of and I want to go back and touch on this but any kind of like short toss flip variation offset it off side offset it pull side offset it front back up throwing BP move up move back change his timing Anything you want to do, he hits, the, he hits the barrel. You speed the ball up, though, and it changes. He doesn't hit the barrel as much. He swings and misses more. And I've told him, I said, look, man, I've told you this a hundred times. And I, we've got the swing sensor data. Like when you swing, if the speed's not too bad, the, and the fly of the ball's not represented what it's going to be in a game, you have enough skills to barrel the ball up at 25, 26 degree swing plane. But now your window of opportunity when the ball is flatter is so much smaller that unless your timing is perfect and your window to hit the ball is like this small, you're not hitting it. And so you have to hear me say, you have to think about swing, swinging down. Like he's a swing down guy. Like you have to try swing down, hit the ball over. And when he does that, it's like this light bulb moment goes off. It's like, try to swing lower, man. Try to hit this ball at the pitcher's yep. feet. Yep. And it's like he starts hitting these, these true 15, 10, 20-degree line drives. Yep. And his barrel awareness comes back. His barrel skill comes back. And, that, and, just, and that's manipulating his, his task goal based on what is right. individualized to what he needs. And, and I think that's what um, – and. And to me, you didn't like, you know, fix anything in his swing no. by saying that. You just gave him a different goal and it started working. And the self-organization piece took over at, at that point. One thing and it doesn't that I feel like, and I think he feels like and it, it doesn't look any different at all. Right. But like he goes from 25, 26 degrees to like 10 degree swing plane. And he feels like he's swinging straight at the ground. Like he feels like he looks ridiculous. Yeah. But it's like, like I watch my, I watch my bat review videos. Uh-huh. And I'm like, I, that bat does not feel like when I swing it, it's right there. But I'm not going to try to move it because, like, now I changed my, where my barrel launch is from and where it's coming from. It's just, if I can get it into the same spot every time, then I know, okay, this is kind of what I'm yeah. going to be, right? Yeah. That's where video can be a bit dangerous, you know, in watching your video. And I'd like my back to go from right here. And now all of a sudden, I can't hit the ball as well. It's like, yeah. I, don't, I don't love, I, 
I don't love. I don't mind to watch video from time to time, but I don't like for our guys to watch a lot of video. Uh, yeah, I'm, I don't know where you I'm, land on that. Uh, I am the same way. Honestly, I see a lot of these, and this is going to be controversial, but you know that's that's kind, <laughs> I love of, my, it. That's kind of my yeah. brand. But um, that's kind of who I am. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna live or die by it, no matter what. Right. Um, uh, like you see this stuff on on social media, and you hear about these schools. Some of them, some bigger schools, that like you know they do, you know the video feedback delay, you know, they do the video delay where they have like, they're like recording every swing during BP, whether it's on the field or in the cages. And then they have a TV set up over there so that after the guy's rounds are done, they go over and watch their whole rounds. And I'm like, that's exactly opposite of what I want guys to do. Right. Like, and I know that's not popular, like, and it's definitely not what, JD Martinez would be promoting, but you know, no. I know he's really, really big on that. But um, I, I think that does more harm than good. That is my personal opinion. I think you overanalyze, you over dissect, and um, you get yourself in a really bad headspace because you're looking for things that are wrong rather than right. thinking about what you're trying to accomplish. I was I reading. I'm reading. I saw. I saw. Have you seen the? Have you seen the book? You're a badass. Mm-mm. No. I'm not into like the self-help territory a lot. So I was, it's been in my house for a while. I don't know how it got there, but I picked it up. I was like between some books, I picked it up. And there was an exercise in the book that said, stop reading right now and look for everything in the room that's red. So you look around the room, you look for red stuff. And then you come back to the book and it asks you the question, how many objects in the room were yellow? And you have no idea because all you yeah. were doing was looking for red objects. Uh, it's like if you're good. looking for swing yeah. thoughts, if you're looking for swing flaws, you're going to find them. Yes. If you're going to find them. Yeah. Like if you're looking, if you think X is wrong, then you're going to find X. You're going to miss Y or Z or whatever. I don't, I just think video in too much video. I'm not saying videos. I love, I like back to video a lot because I think swing posture and space is really an important swing quality to give players room to adapt. Mm-hmm. Like you can't adapt if you don't have the space and room to do it. Right. And so, you know, sometimes I think it can be useful in small doses to show somebody it's like, you know, this is what we're trying to accomplish. But again, it's like, how much conscious thought do I want you to put into finding the solution? Right. For you know? me, it's, for me, it's, um, you know, and this is kind of along the same lines of, of uh, what you were just saying posture um it's it's most helpful for a um uh pitch pitch selection and what you know what what you're swinging at what you're not hitting what you are hitting and like what types of pitches you need to improve in you know which you know i'm very big on that right the second piece and this is kind of just a different way i think of talking about posture is your direction so um you know, your posture, I think, gives you a better chance to have better direction towards the middle yep. of the field. And then you can obviously be able to, as you said, adapt from there. So to me, it's about uh, it's most useful when you're looking at pitches that are being swung at, whether they're hit or not, um, and looking to see how good a, a guy's swing, swing direction is so that, you know, you're seeing how good of a chance he's leaving himself, basically, um, yeah. uh, when he's not perfect. So. 
Right, and I think there is I, – I had a coach text me the other day. He said, hey, what are your thoughts on um, – what are your thoughts – let's try to think what he said. He said – it was something to the effect of hitting the ball off of. I'm like, look, A, where you are, bat speed is the most important priority of time and organization. Like, at that, that level where you are, I know your players, most of your training economy should be built to build bat speed and then build variable adaptable hitters from there. Like, it's really easy where you are. It's not that big of a rabbit hole to go down. But I said not to neglect direction, though. Like, you should be directionally neutral. I don't think you should be trying to pull or hit the ball off. Just kind of aim right here, which is going to give you the biggest latitude east and west to be early or late. And then, like, again, the position, the position, the posture, the hip hinge and the space is going to allow you to adapt in, adapt out, be early, be late, whatever you're going to need to do, side bend, tilt. You know, because, again, there's guys that that get too – too much forward posture, right? And now they get blown away at their belt. And so now we right. gotta like figure that solution out or figure that idea out. So to me, I found I found unexpected success with something that I had our guys at Covenant do back in the spring. Um, I and I am not the creator of this. I've seen other people do this. This is a pretty traditional drill obviously that that has been around for a long time um by the way did you just hear i use the word drill yeah uh, what about you yeah. when in rome there you go that, you've been uh, hanging out the, you've been hanging out with the with the coaches too long yes the coach all the coaches. <laughs> um yeah but anyway uh, <laughs> uh the the exercise slash drill um sure. you put like a ball down on the ground in front of the plate probably a foot and a half or so, right? Maybe even closer to two feet, just kind of depending on the hitter and what, like how far out front of the plate you want contact to be. Um, and I told our guys, because what I was starting to notice was guys would take swings and it's like, you know, and, and this is a, this is a side note on this. Uh, it's a, there's been debate whether, you know, you actually see the ball hit the bat or not. Scientists would say that you don't actually see the ball hit the bat. Ted Williams said that he did see the ball hit the bat. So, but anyway, um, but I was trying to promote that idea of like seeing the ball for however long as possible that you can, whether you see it hit the bat or not to keep your head down on the baseball. So, uh, and you know, I called it the Arenado drill. Um, And it actually got to the point where if guys were like taking their head off the ball when they were um, taking their swings, whether it was MVP, and, and this this really happened the rest of the season, whether it was MVP and even in games, like we would just yell, Arenado, Arenado, just to kind of remind guys, keep your head down on the ball. So that was the purpose of the exercise that we were doing was to get guys to actually see the ball for as long as possible because it's this weird concept, Chad. When you see the ball, it's easier to put the barrel on it. It's weird. Yep. Like when you're actually looking at the ball, like it's easier to actually be accurate with the barrel. But anyway, yep. um, so uh, the unintended benefit from this exercise that we did was that we, uh, I was starting to see guys have better posture. Like yep. I was going to ask that. Were, their heads were over the plate. Like I didn't say anything about posture. Didn't mention it. Didn't even use the word. I, like, I, 
I wasn't even intending to work on that. And all of them, their postures all improved from me, not even like it was this extra little and like this light bulb, this light bulb went off in my head. And I was like, you know, there are, there are changes that happen from an adaptability standpoint in our entire system. Changes happen unintended, whether for the better or for the worse, yep. that are constantly happening within our system with everything that we ask a guy to do from an ath- athletic standpoint. So um, it was just more confirmation for me that you can't make one change or ask a guy to do one thing and think that like the one thing that you're focusing on or that you care about in that moment that you're hyper-focusing on um, is the only thing that's going to be affected by that. So it was just more confirmation for more of a systems-based approach to athletic development, specifically in hitting. But it also just let me know that, hey, this is an exercise I can use to improve a guy's posture now. And now yep. I know it. I can use this moving forward in the future. And I can, it's just yet another way to give an external goal um, to adjust the cognitions, the intentions, um, manipulate the task constraints so that then he is, you know, finding a way to self-organize in a more productive way that is going to be more useful when he comes to the game. But I didn't explicitly right. have to talk about those things, which right. is cool. I, I have told hitters to, in the past through the years of, to that point of, of just try to see under the ball, like change how you're viewing the ball, like mm-hmm. change what position you're, view, you're trying to view the ball from yep. and then hit it, like yep. try to hit it in the air. Because as much as they want to try, I, I had – I'll give you a, an example – one of our better young hitters, he, he played he played in, a, in an unnamed coach bro organization this spring, and they done they did this kid. He's been with me since he's like seven, and never we never hit a ball off the team any time with me ever. I'm not saying he didn't do it in practice, but Coach Bro spent an enormous amount of time hitting balls off the team. So now this guy, this kid, goes from like viewing the ball from like back here to like viewing the ball from right here because he's sitting on the tee and he's looking at it and he's just swinging at it off the tee. I tell our guys, I'm like, look, I don't care what you do on your own time, do not hit a ball off the tee. Throw the tennis ball up, let it bounce, have somebody side flip it to you. I don't care. Just there's so many bad things about the tee. And this was one of the unintended consequences. This kid, I would have never dreamed. That this kid would have, he couldn't hit the ball in the air from, from like how he was viewing the ball because he'd set the ball on the tee so much and just swung at it that like he couldn't hit the ball. Like you're not going to hit the ball in the air even if you try until you get into a better position where you're viewing the ball differently, which is going to affect your posture, which is going to affect how you're approaching, yep. you know, the pitch. So we just got to a point, finally, we got him out of the season and it's like, here's what we're going to do just going to kind of mark the center of your stance just for purpose and like try to view the ball from here and then let's see what happens. And he's back on playing. Um, He's got some other mental things going on because he struggled a bit for the first time in his life, which is eye opening for young players. But hopefully he'll, I've I've just gone down the road of like giving him a hard time. He came in yesterday and I'm like, Hey man, I heard you're going to be a PO. <laughs> He's like, "What do you mean?" I'm like, "Well, you know, this is how you turn into a pitcher. It's like you can't handle this roller coaster of 
failure and struggle, and you just pitch because the assist rate's so much higher. Yeah. And if you need that feeling of reassurance all the time, you might as well just go pitch because you're not going to get it in this world. Try to toughen them up a little bit, right? Right, for sure. Let me ask you this. I read – this is a question that I've tossed, been tossing around in my mind for years. I read – did you read Daniel Coyle's The Talent Coach? I read uh, sort of his, like – I guess like the I – don't, I, don't, I don't know if you call it a sequel or like the supplemental the, – The Little uh, Red Book of Talent? The Little Book of Talent, yeah. Yeah. I read that part. I never actually got around to reading the original. It's, if you read the Red Book of Talent, that's good enough because you're going you're gonna to understand this question. What do you find the role of deliberate practice for – because he's a big deliberate practice guy, right? Mm-hmm. Like slow swings and this and that. Where is there a role – I've always argued with, with like – I'm not saying you're right and I'm not saying you're wrong, but what I'm saying is like what is deliberate, like what is cause and what is effect? I think a lot of people – at times, mistake, like, a, this is just a stupid example, but, like, extension as being a deliberate practice thing. It's like, that's just an effect of something that happened earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, what do, What do you think about the role of deliberate practice or what is deliberate or, or, or even in the wrong, or even in the right space with deliberate practice? I think deliberate practice can can be very beneficial. Um, if it is implemented in what I think is the best way, the most productive way to go about that. I think what it has turned into is this like expert led, um, you know, I, you know, I'm the gatekeeper of how to swing a baseball bat and how you need to go about your preparation and, you need to listen to me because I'm the expert that like that honestly is probably my biggest issue. That's probably like the thing I dislike most about that. Like I, I like deliberate practice overall, but that's right. But that, that would probably be my one, um, maybe not one, but that would probably be my primary complaint with Anders Erickson, who is kind of like the, the godfather of that concept. Um, yep. that would probably be my one issue with him is, it gives too much authority. It gives too much authority and relies too much on appeal to authority from an expert standpoint to know exactly what uh, the learner needs to do in order to be successful. And um, I think that's dangerous, especially when you have supposedly a lot of experts in our game, experts in our game that uh, maybe don't, know as much as they think that they do and i say that from the standpoint of not saying that i know but from the standpoint of of being you know again going back to what we said earlier being somebody who constantly is doubting and and questioning and and uh just trying not to screw things up too bad like and not in this like false humility sort of way it's it's like legitimately maybe i don't know like and maybe (laughs) i i have seen myself wrong so many times before but anyway so um uh that that is probably my my primary issue with it it gets misunderstood and misconstrued into this place of like oh well the expert coach the expert hitting coach knows that this one particular isolated piece of your swing or this one particular isolated piece of how you go about preparing 
is the most important thing or is something that you have to fix in order for you to be successful. So how I would implement deliberate practice is more from the standpoint of providing, like as, as the supposed expert, um, providing the right types of environments, whether it be completely replicating the game environment or maybe even a little bit above if necessary or adjusting those constraints um, in order to create the right types of adaptations. But it is my role to facilitate or adjust that environment so that the learner discovers themselves um, in a deliberate way. That's how I would go about deliberately doing it. To me, the deliberate, like, we're going to slow things down, we're going to break right. it down, we're going we're gonna to repeat repeat this same thing over and over again, this isolated part of the movement over and over again to, to you drill it into your subconscious that that's what you're supposed to do. I just, I think self-organization principles and ecological dynamics show us that that's not really how the body is going to be able to translate the ability to accomplish athletic skill best. Um, I, I, I actually was reminded of this recently and uh, uh, I knew this before, but I was reminded of it recently. And I think it's a really good thing for a lot of people to, to keep in mind from a coaching standpoint and how, uh, how athletes adapt self self organization is not something that's really up for debate. Um, it isn't like whether the body self organizes or not and whether you should whether you should be teaching to self-organization. Self-organization is happening constantly. You are yep. self-organizing to the task that you are asked to do. So the question then becomes, do we want guys to self-organize to a ball sitting on a tee, stationary? Because self-organization is happening when you ask them to do that task, whether you like it or not. If you give them 17 different cues, they are self-organizing based on those cognitive constraints that you are giving them because you're telling them all these different things to do. Um, it, so what types of tasks and environments do we want our athletes self-organizing to? That is kind of the question that I, you know, was reminded of recently that I try to think about regularly. Um, am I asking athletes that I coach to self-organize to the types of tasks that they're going to be self-organizing to when it comes time to the game? Or am I asking them to self-organize to tasks that I like? and asking them to self-organize in the manner that I want them to self-organize. But it's happening whether I like it or not. So I think keeping that in mind with how we go about preparing, whether it's deliberate practice or not, and on what end of the spectrum that we think deliberate practice should be implemented, um, I think that's a big question to kind of keep in mind as we go through that. I would, if I could go back and do my career over again, I would spend almost zero time to the point of like zero time hitting a ball that wasn't moving at a either relative reaction time or relative speed. Mm -hmm. Like I think back to the time that I spent because everything and people don't, people suck at this in general life. Everything has a time exchange yep. and your, and your time in baseball is so finite. I told the dad about the, the 212. I'm like, look, if our goal is to throw 90, we have to attack this 
we have to attack this. We have to attack this now because time is running, whether we want it to be or not. Time is going. And so practicing the task, moving ball, speed, because if you're not, again, to the, to the deliberate practice, into the T, into the self-organization, I mean, if you're not taking the, the time frame, the reaction time frame into account, you're not practicing hitting. Yep. Not in the least, not in yep. the least shape or form. Like you're not, not hitting the whole system. The whole system no, you're not involved. Like you might look into success. Like I've, I've the, the kid that I'm telling you about that's been struggling lately. You know, as you grow up, you find that competition gets better. The bad players get weeded out. You know, the pool gets smaller, and the bad, the better players are left. And I told the dad, I said, you have to take it into account that the competition is also getting better. And he's not going to get a hit every time. And so the failure that we endure in here is he has to be able to mentally keep it together out there. You'll love this, though. Every time that I do three, we did three plate, we did three plate machine yesterday. And I think about you every time, but I, I have <laughs> found that three plate machine, long bat, short bat, light bat, three plates is my favorite thing to do because you have to adapt timing and barrel. I give them two swings. You only give them one because you are the, you are the timing Nazi. Yes. Uh, I'm the one swing Nazi. You're the one swing Nazi. <laughs> Uh, to go from the 37, 37, 37 on the front plate to the fastest swing time to the light bat in the middle plate to the 31 inch short bat on the back plate is just, you could mix that up. You oh, yeah. could mix that up every round. You don't have to go in that deliberate order, but having to adapt timing and barrel at, in a constrained amount of time. It's like it. that. This is the essence of practice. Like yes. we, you, we can't do this enough. Yep. Like we can't do three plate, long bat, short bat. Our, our light bat is like 31 inches. We go a 31 drop eight. We've got the 28, 31 short axe bat. And we've got the 37, 37 long axe bat with the machine that's 55 miles an hour ish. From about 40, 45 feet in the three plates. Like, this is it. Like, yep. this is all yep. we should really do. Yep. But do you do you do that with the the slower machine because you're using the underload bat, which will break if you go any higher? Is that the reason? No, you do so that? the under the, the bat we have is it's not, it's just a junior bat. It's it's not like the design okay. X bat. It's just like a junior drop it's not eight. Like it's not the drive line underload because those uh -uh, things will no. break if you like. Yep. If you hit too much on, yep. like higher speeds, those things will break. Where yep. do you get the? So it, it's just like a kid's you, bat. That's like a drop eight. Yep, just a drop eight. Yep, you can what get a drop size? eight. And if, uh, we have a thirty-one, so it's like twenty-three, which is okay. right in that. So it's a little bit on the shorter side. Yep, okay. but that doesn't matter. Like that's yeah. just a, that's just another. Yeah, that's just another constraint of of where's yeah. the sweet spot. Like, yeah. where's the barrel in space? Yeah. You know, we have. I wish. So, sorry, go ahead. I wish they would make the long bat. I wish they would make variations of the long bat and the short bat. I wish they would make the short bat inloaded. I wish they would make the short bat knob loaded. I wish they would make the long bat inloaded. I wish they would make the long bat knob loaded. I'm sure that's coming. 
Like I wish they had all of those. Like yeah. I wish that anything. Like give give us anything. Give yeah. me give me anything. Like let's Mix get up. anything. Mix up all the different implements that you're using. Yeah, let's throw the whole kitchen sink yeah. at it. I mean, that's differential learning, right? I mean, using different implements, doing different tasks, having to organize, using your entire system to have to calibrate. That's how you develop movement dexterity and movement. Well, abundance. and you're having to manage your emotions within this too because it's yep. frustrating. Yeah. Like if you're not, again, that's another thing. If you're not accounting for emotions in practice, frustration in practice. All part of the system, right? You're not ready for the game. Yep. That's what I told, That's how you end up being a PO. Yep. Because like you, you can't did, handle the anxiety. You can't handle the emotions of this thing. Yep. Like that's that was my that was one of my biggest limitations as a player. I just thought, you know, oh, here hey, I am. Yes. I'm gonna be. I've never struggled in my life. Yep. That was exactly how I was when I was a player, and I, you know, you played pro ball. You were a lot better than I was. Um, I played NAI D3 ball and, and right. But I think everybody really experiences good. the same emotion or struggle. Yeah. It just I, comes in different places. I remember. And if, if I'm being truthful, this shapes, you know, why I believe so much in what I believe in from a hitting standpoint, um, as far as how I want to help, help hitters get better, you know, our, our own experiences that are personal to us end up impacting how we are as adults and what we do like when we're uh you know in our careers you know that that's a very obvious thing so i remember very clearly when i was a player you know i would take bp i would take bp in practice i would take bp before games um i just hit all the time i would hit off the tee a bunch i would hit a bunch of front flips yep and the i would same get the point, playbook that people still try to operate out yeah and i didn't know any better and i didn't have anybody like telling me any different so I would just hit and hit and hit and hit and I would find barrel after barrel after barrel after yep. barrel. And I would say, man, I, you know, I feel good. And then I would get in the game and I would suck and I didn't understand. And I was like, I don't understand. And like thinking back on that now is so incredible that it never, I never made the connection in my mind that, Oh, this is actually different than what I do. Like that's the reason I'm not yeah. good because the game is different from what I do to make myself feel like I'm prepared, but I'm not prepared because I've hit off the tee and I've hit BP. And I never equated the fact that I could take a perfect round. I, I could have eight swings and hit eight line drives to the middle of the field and be like, man, I'm ready to hit. And I would get in the game and get blown away by a fastball or swing at a slider in the dirt or have the level of anxiety that you feel when you're in the batter's box that I never dealt with. And I, I I wouldn't be able to focus. I would get out of my approach. And it's like, I never made the connection that it's because I do different things in practice. I focus on the wrong things in practice and then expect it to translate to the game. And I wasn't stressing my entire system the way that I should have that was actually going to prepare me for the game. And that's what I try to talk about with hitters that I coach. And I, I know you do the same thing, um, is trying to get them to understand that, that like these things that you emphasize in training and in practice that you want to make yourself feel better. That's not the whole system that is being trained. You need to train the whole system. You need to stress the whole system so that once you actually get in the box, you're ready for that. You've been there. You've done that. You said this last time we've covered this. Like we've gone yeah. down this road before you've done this. Like this isn't new. Um, and yeah, the anxiety and stress and emotional piece of it um, is something that is not, is not emphasized enough. 
do you do you think that do you think that that's so rare because I know how I am and like the humility that I have to know that I underachieved as a player like I did not achieve what I not because I was doing stupid stuff like I wasn't working hard like there are those guys that just they they live under the false pretense that like that somebody cheated them or whatever. It's like, man, you didn't pay. You didn't put the time in. You weren't strong enough. You weren't healthy enough. You weren't good. like. I feel like I covered all the bases that I could cover in that in those worlds. But like, I underachieved as a player, and I think what has driven me to the point that I am today is like, I still just want to know why and have the humility to say, like, this is what this is where I fell short and where you will fall short too, if you continue to do this, right? Do you think there, do you think there's a piece of that for you in knowing like I sucked as a player and this is why I think most people can't come to the realization. Like you sucked as a player, man. Yeah. Like one of my PJ Heiser came to town a couple weeks ago, a guy I played with, we were, we were talking about this other guy. He said, he still thinks he's a big leaguer. that got robbed. Was like, he wasn't a big leaguer. Not at all. Like he wasn't <laughs> even close to a big leaguer. Yeah. You know, I think there's there's some humility in why did I why was I why did I not get out of the practice time what I should have gotten out of it? Monty Lee talks think, about that a lot. He talks about some guys that he ran across that's like, this is crazy. Yeah. I think it's um and this is a this is a human trait. This is not just baseball. This is how most how most people are. Most people are not introspective enough. They aren't reflective enough um, on their past, on their weaknesses, on their shortcomings previously, um, whether it be a long time in the past or yesterday or yep. this morning. Um, most people don't think that way. Like most human beings don't think that way. We are thinking about what we can get now, what is going to benefit us right now. Um, we are thinking about the ways that we were screwed over previously, right? As you just mentioned, um, people don't like thinking about how they screwed up or how they did something wrong or how they could have been better. Most human beings don't like. It's like we shield ourselves from that because we don't have to confront our failures and the fact that we've been idiots in the past, um, right. and that we will probably be idiots moving forward in the future. So there's a certain amount of humility that we have to attack how we think about um, our previous experiences and our previous choices, um, whether it's something that we knew better or not. I mean, the choices that I made or didn't make when I played, um, some of that was because I just didn't know any better. But I can right. acknowledge that and say, I need to be better moving forward in the future. And I want to do the best job that I can to help the players that I coach to not have to have the regrets that I have um, because they'll at least know better. They'll at least know better because of uh, the types of ways that I try to be introspective and constantly try to evaluate the ways in which right. I'm wrong regularly. And it's I like up. the kid again, I keep going back to this kid who, you know, the, the, the fitness tracker and the whoop strap and we use pulse and we use, at least he can know at the end of this thing, we did the most honest thing that we could do. Yes. You know, I, I think people are comfortable with or not comfortable with, and I can say that about my career, like given the, t given the information and the time, 
I did the most honest things that I could do to try to be as good as I could be. The information just wasn't that good. We didn't know much better at the time. Like you said, it's like it, there wasn't a, there wasn't a lot of there was no technology. We were still running only on the experience of the successful players that came before us. It's like, well, he was Ted Williams was good, and he saw the ball hit the bat. It's like that that certainly worked for Ted for right. sure. Yeah, but like is it a real thing? I don't know. Ted swung up. Mike Trout swings down. Which one's going to work for you? Well, it will depend upon. You got to experiment. Yeah, it will depend upon what what your you know the information and feedback says, but it'll depend depend upon what your bad ball outcomes are. Can yeah. you feel that way and rake and hit line drives and hit the ball hard? Then yeah, do that. That's yeah. awesome. A Rod, A Rod can say whatever he wants because he hits six hundred holders and it, he's right for him. We've we've covered that. Right, you know, they're right for them. That doesn't mean they're right for you. Because they're not you, unless they're your genetic dupe. You know, you're, unless you're the genetic clone of that guy. Yes. Then who knows? Who knows if he's right or not? He might be. Yeah. If you can measure it and gather information, you might. He might be right. You might. But to me, it's knowing better. To me, it's it's the coaches who know better, or they have the information presented to them of better. Uh, more effective ways to go about developing adaptable athletes, which is what we should want. Yep. And having that research there, having, uh, having more evidence for that and you choosing to ignore it anyway, because you're attached to a traditional model of doing things or because it's how you did it when you played, or it's, it's because you want to promote a certain product, which I'm not against growing a business by any stretch, but you want to promote your product so much so that you're going to ignore all this stuff that shows that it's better. You're not looking out for the athletes. You're not looking out for the game. You're looking out for yourself. So it's, it's the dishonesty that a lot of coaches, uh, they have this cognitive dissonance and the ability to actually recognize in themselves the ways in which they're ignoring truth or they're ignoring probable uh, outcomes that are, are going to come from you choosing this better route just so they can promote themselves or put themselves in a better position. Like that's, that's what I'm most critical of is knowing better and choosing to do something different anyway. Right. There was a, there was an example I was going to give to you and it's a funny example, but it took me back. It took me back like 10 years when I was much more instructive and I was much more prescriptive and the swing's got to be this. And, this is what we have to do, and this is what we needed to look like. I was telling somebody something. It may have been my own daughter. It may have been my own daughter. I can't remember, but but I, as I was saying it, I, it took me back to that. It was, it was the – I don't know that this is the right way to describe it, but it took me back to that almost that feeling of like self-importance I had when I was that way. It's like I viewed myself as much more important than, or I I didn't maybe show it, but it it was like the feeling I had of self-importance. It's like what I just did, I'm not sure will work or not. I talked like it did, but like it probably won't. I don't think it was my daughter, though. I think it was another player. It was another player. and And I was thinking to myself, this is what happens every day. It's like the coach is out here 
the gatekeeper is out here like reassuring himself of his self-importance in the process of that player. Yeah. And it's like it's like this is not if you're good, if you're good, and we and we can go back because I have one more question about the the plyo balls. We got talking about something else, and I never circled back on the question. But it's like <laughs> if you're good at manipulating the the task to 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 achieve the outcome, whatever we we started with swing posture and and down, and we're hitting balls, and we talked about plyo balls. If you're manipulating the constraint, you are coaching, even if you're not verbally saying anything. You know, I've tried to get to, and this is something I try to achieve every day, is like, what can we manipulate where I don't have to say much? Where the player can focus on solely on, here's the ball, hit it in this direction. You know, so we use, you know, we use core velocity belt. We've got some kids right now who are just testing some things on the core velocity belt, um, just some different things to try to get them to, to be in some different positions without me instructing them to be there. Um, you know, what can we do? What can we do where I don't have to verbalize? Get into this position or or do this or try to take your hands over here. It's like you are coaching. You are coaching. Whether you're not chirping every word, you know, fix this, do this, go in this direction. That was a good swing. That that I try I try to I try to give players positive reinforcements. Hey, that was great. Do that again. You know, hey, maybe that maybe. Uh, you know, just try to whatever, you know, try to hit the ball that way. Mm-hmm. You know, try to adjust to hit the ball that way once or, one or twice. Try to adjust to hit the ball down. But I, but I try to say as little as possible. Back to the plyo ball question. Do you manipulate the toss? Do you manipulate the toss at all? Like basketball toss, Nick yeah. down, seated, flipping it up from the sides. Do you manipulate the toss based upon how the player is moving to so that you can achieve a different outcome. That was actually something that, yeah, I, 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 I meant to mention when I yeah. originally was talking about when that. When you were talking about it, we we're just circling back. Now. Yeah. And I, 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 I never actually said this piece of it, but um, I have done this previously with a guy who had a very like downward angle and hit the ball hard, like low and, and inefficient contact with, you know, where they're like this. Um, with a with a pliable or with a baseball, um, I have done this before. Where you know you stand on a stool, stand yep. on a stool, and you reach up over the L screen, and yep. like you throw a ball on this like extreme downward, like I don't know, it's probably like a forty five degree yep. descent angle or something crazy like that, and say try to match this plane. And that is that's over exaggerating. Obviously, you don't want that in sure. a game, but if this guy is somebody who like is really low and like downward with his plane, then this over-exaggeration is maybe going to help him feel the other extreme, the other end of the spectrum, which, you know, hopefully over time you do that enough and it's, you know, it's going to bring him closer to the middle with that slightly upward plane that you want that is going to match the pitch plane coming in. So that's probably my favorite way to do it. The other thing that I have done is do it with a mound. Um, You, you know, either like a like a mound that's in the cages like you know some cages will have like an actual like dirt mound for pitchers to throw on yep i have done that before or like the portable turf mounds you bring that in the cage um and i actually like doing that i i i prefer more like um you know the whole on the whole force the field feed the flaw type of spectrum from like a constraint sled approach standpoint 
I prefer the feed the flaw better, yep, like more than force, yep. more than force the feel. Um, because if you're forcing the feel, you're just making it easier for them. If yep, you're feeding you're the flaw, the problem. you're just yes, putting the bandage over the problem. It just, it just makes you feel like, oh yeah, see, I got them to do it. Um, yep. But they're the not actually not having to like. For the, building, a, building an adaptation to the problem. Right. Yeah. So I'm much more on the end of feed the flaw. Make it difficult so that they have to do something different or adapt differently so that they can, uh, you know, find a different solution that is going to be more useful in the game. So I like having the mound to where they're standing with their back foot at the top of the mound. Yep. So they're like angled down, like they're yep. faced down. So that has a couple different benefits. It forces them to stay on their backside a little better. It forces yep. them to pull their backside a little better, which is going to be more useful when you're having to adjust a different pitch, pitch fees and pitch types. But as far as what we were talking about earlier, it is literally going to force them into that more upward type of swing plane. And, you know, if it's a guy that's swinging really down, that's, that is going to be beneficial, obviously. If you're doing it with plyos, that just adds the extra element. And then on top of that, you say, hit this ball really high. So it's like that, like it's like a right. three approach to you feeling like really like getting back and, and yeah. launching. And yep. most guys, I mean, a lot of coaches see me do this and they like cringe. I don't yep. want guys swinging yep. like that. But if it's a guy that normally does this, maybe. It's no more of a ridiculous feel than Mike right. Trout saying, I go like this. Yes, yes. Like, it's no more of a ridiculous feel. It's, They're both ridiculous. Yes. It's it's the exaggeration that helps get you more here, which is what you want. Yeah. Right? So, um, so, yeah, in answer to your question, yes. I do like manipulating the toss, um, and I also like manipulating the environment, the ground even, which they're standing That's, on. Standing yeah. on the ground. So. Um, I never I, thought about it in terms of swing plane. I back when I used to argue a lot with people on Twitter. I haven't done that in several years. I actually <laughs> disagreed strongly with a, somebody I really like. I still like this person to this day about staying back. Like the players lunging, they can't control their center of mass, which is what that kind of boils down to. Hitting up the mound, and I and I and I to the point I said, "You're not." You're not doing anything hitting up the mound if that's your problem. You're just you're just slapping a Band-Aid on it and saying, look, you're staying back now. Staying back, right? You actually may be making it worse because right. you're forcing them to feel like when you're going up the mound, you have to work harder to get forward. Right, so right. I said, I said turn the mound around and go down. That way they figure out, yes. like over-exaggerate the problem. Like to the yeah. core velocity belt got a kid, a couple kids who, I won't say who they are, local people might listen to this, but they've been force-fed hitting the ball opposite for like ever. Yeah. And they both have just this, this early hip extension, like stand-up posture thing where they just push the ball opposite the whole time. Middle end, they don't hit it. They don't pull the ball with much, with much authority in the air or I mean, it's just usually if it's hit hard, it's hit on the ground. And so trying to get them to maintain a hip hinge longer and maintain a hip hinge as they move forward, taking the core velocity belt and hooked it with the band in front of them that like pulls them into early extension. Like I'm trying to pull them into early extension as they move forward. So now they, they, they feel staying in their here because again, stay, 
that's something I've done in my hitting videos a little bit. I've tried to make a little more conscious effort of like weighting my heel. And so I can stay in my hip longer as I move forward. It helps me with my timing, helps me get my swing off when I want to get it off. But players aren't me. And so that's not going to work for them because I've hit a bunch of balls and, you know, I'm not preparing for the game. So I'm trying to get them to do that a bit without telling them to do that. Yeah. So that's kind of what we've been doing with the core velocity belt is just pulling them into hip extension and trying to pull them out of their heel early. Yeah. Again, feed the flaw. Like feed yeah. the flaw. So they have to always go back. They yep. feel like the compensation is so that maybe they're able to use that positive yep. compensation and adaptation yep. um, when the constraint is not implemented. Right. So it's like the, the French, French, you go back to French Bosch all the time. The body doesn't learn by doing the yep. same thing over the same movement over and over again. The body learns by determining the difference between two different moves. Yeah. They have no feel for this move that they're making. None. This is just what they've done. They, they hit the ball opposite. They've early extended and just fed the ball opposite. It's like it achieved the task that they were supposed to be doing a billion times. And it's like, we've got this, we've got this thing that's never going to allow the most, most valuable batted balls in baseball are balls pulled in the air. Yep. I'm not saying you have to try to pull them in the air, but you, you need to have the physical qualities to be able to do that. Yep. If you don't have the physical qualities to do that, you're not going to do it. You're not going to be very yeah. productive either. Yeah, like I'm not, we're not going to put the ball on a tee in and say, all right, we're in practice hitting the pulling the ball middle in. It doesn't work like that. Nor do I want you to try to pull it. I mean, maybe you do, maybe you don't, but like we got to develop the quality to be able to do it. Yep. It goes back to, it goes back to the original question of mechanics. Like I'm not saying mechanics aren't real or they don't happen. It's just the acquisition of them is a lot harder than most people make it out to be because it's not like, hey, just do this. Yeah. Oh, I saw a video on TikTok that I almost sent you. Some kid hitting, and some coach said, I still think it was on Instagram. Some coach said something. I can't remember what it was. It was like, dude, he used the term like upper elbow. I'm like, where is even the upper elbow? Upper like, elbow? Yeah. Like, where's the upper elbow exactly? Like, <laughs> but I almost said it to you. I okay. laugh because he says it. The kid barrels it. He's like, there you go. I'm like, this is a perfect example of like just words and the kids. A lot kid of coaches barrels. just like to hear themselves talk. Yeah, it's, this then. is just words. The kid happened to barrel the next one. And he said, there you go. Yeah, that was me that did that. Yeah, you're welcome. You go. You're welcome. <laughs> now you want to buy another lesson? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. It's like this. It's have I told you the story? Have I, this is great. I might have told you the story. I might not have, of the dad who told his kid to put his batting gloves in his left pocket. Young no. kid, young kid, I think they're out. I think I don't even think it's in a game. Kid's been struggling a little bit. They're out practicing. Kid is frustrated, and the dad is like, this is a dad I work with. I'm proud of this moment. The dad's like, oh, my gosh, it just occurred to me. He said, you've got your batting gloves in your left pocket or your right pocket, back pocket. And they need to be in your left back pocket. And the kid was like, really? And he's like, yeah, put them in your left back pocket. And the kid like barrels two or three more. He's like, see, see, there you go. You just had your batting <laughs> gloves in the wrong pocket. That was all that was wrong. Oh, all my goodness. <laughs> that is. I love like that story. That guy tells that story. I bring that story up like once or twice a week to that guy. 
It's like we just need to put their batting gloves in the other pocket. That's, that's all. Real, that's all it is. That's an easy fix. Like yeah, yeah. But that's, if that's all it thing. is. You can make a lot of money, right? Yeah, that's the same thing though. That's the, the exact same thing. The kid believed what, what, what they, what the dad said, and because of his self belief and what he said, he hit the two or three net. Now, is that going to carry you a long way? No. But that's kind of like lessons, right? That's kind of like lessons. In, it's a placebo. You, you go to this guy, and you feel really good, and you go out and you play good in, in the weekend, and it's like, holy crap, that guy's awesome. And you keep going back, but you have to keep furthering down this rabbit hole of cues, and he has to word things differently to get you to keep coming back. And He's got to come this, up with all these crazy, new, yeah. weird-looking creative drills yep. to be like, hey, we're going to do this today. And yep. I, got, I got these four different little toys. And I'm not saying that doesn't today. work in the short term, mm-hmm. right? I've gone down this – I've asked myself this question in self-reflection of should you focus on throwing strikes more for young players? I'm going to say no, but I'm asking the question to myself. Because it gives them the confidence to let it loose and throw the ball hard, right? Like players that throw the ball in the strike zone maybe have more confidence to like start letting it eat versus players that are like let it eat and throw it everywhere. They're just more apprehensive to keep doing that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, is there value in that? Yeah, it's a valid question for sure. Yeah. You know, is it, is it, is it valuable to, to let a player hit a ball off the tee to like gain some 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 confidence in themselves to like then go and let it eat off balls in the zone. Like it's definitely not a skill. It's definitely not a skill thing, but like, is there value in it? Like I always go back to that. It's like because I always question myself. I'm like you. I'm questioning myself every day. Am I doing what everything that I can do to help these people be as good what as you're they can be? Talking about is psychological development and right psychological part of the game and. I think there is, there are unlimited, literally unlimited ways that I think we can we can address or attempt to address going about doing that because the brain is such a complex, it's a complicated thing. Yes, it's 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 just so complex. We as human beings are so complex as beings that there's all kinds of different ways you can go about doing that, and you can debate which ways are better than others when it comes to that. Um, but I think one thing that we can all agree on, no matter how you go about doing that, is that addressing that in some capacity, however you go about, yeah, it, whether you're doing it explicitly by making the task easier so that players feel better, it's not my personal favorite right. way of doing that, but For whether sure. you're doing that or if you're trying to back into it or maybe doing a little bit more of a long-term approach of, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna make them psychologically tougher by making them do hard things more often, making them believe yep. in their capabilities to be able to do that. Or if you're somewhere in the middle and you do a little bit of both, no matter what end of the spectrum or however you go about addressing that, it needs to be addressed. Like the psychological piece of the game, the stress, the anxiety that comes along with it, the emotion, which you talked about earlier, needs to be addressed in some way, shape, or form. Um, we can debate the ways that we think is best to go about doing it. And I have my opinions on that, but it needs to be addressed for sure. Yeah. It's a, it's a never ending puzzle. You know, what I'm sure of in all of what you just said is the best way to get a lot of this out of this is, is make the practice somewhat like the game so that 
all of these things come out right now. It feels familiar when they're in the game. Yeah, like all of these things come out, whether it's a swing fall, whether it's this inferiority, like I'm not good enough, emotion that you have, or I'm never going to be good enough, or I'm so good, I'm never going to fail on the other end of the spectrum. All these things come out in an environment where we have a handle on it. Because once the game starts, hey, there's scoreboard is on, the umpire is back there, and we're recording stats and go. You know, I don't know that players find peace of mind. You know, I, I would want them to find peace of mind in how they prepare. But it's like you, you found peace of mind in how you prepared, but it like wasn't the right thing. Yep. And then it just became frustration. So you got to, you got to have, you got to be self-aware enough to know practice. Got, this got, in some form, fashion, way, this has got to look like the game. Yep. The more, the better we can make it look like the game the more this stuff is going to become real. Yes. Yep. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I'm on the same page on that for sure. I, it's not the best way to build a business. I'll tell you that. It's much, <laughs> I would be, I would have much more clients, which at this phase in my life, I don't want. But I would have way more clients if I was just selling the, the, the snake oil of, you know, I got all the answers. Yep. Come to me. I'm just going to make up, sound really smart. Which is I'm why a lot of coaches do that. Yeah. Right. I yep. mean, because if you live in a big enough place, honestly, part of the reason that I have landed where I've landed in businesses, I don't live in a big enough place to turn over clients fast enough to be able to do that because people are going to sniff you out. I have told people that about certain people in this business locally. It's like people are going to sniff him out because the game's going to expose those kids. It just exposes everybody. And so yeah. if you don't have some measurable way to which you're, you're improving the underlying skills and performance to become a good hitter, that way you can, we can make the practice of that game because people know they're getting better because I can yeah. show you, right? Yeah. They're not going to stay. They're not going to stay. And so those guys run out of business. I've been doing this for 10 years in a place that's like super small. You know, you know where I live in the Bristol area. There's just not a lot of people here. You can't con no. everybody. If yep. you live in, if you live in wherever Charlotte, Nashville, Atlanta, where you can just turn over clients all the time, good for you, whatever. There's always going to be more people. There's always more people. Yeah, there's yeah. not always more people where I live. Yeah. And so I've had you to. You have to actually be good at what you do. <laughs> I've had to be. I've had to actually yeah. be good at developing players, and now I'll add the whole layer of the technology which would expose the fact that I'm not very good. It holds like you the technology just, Right? The technology would shine a lot of the fact that I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And so I have to know. You know, I, don't, I can't afford not to because, again, I'm running a business that feeds my family. Like, I have to know. Mm-hmm. Especially if I'm going to do it this way. That's why people run, that coaches run from technology a lot. You know, I've had, I've, through the years, I've, I've just tried to nudge coaches end up using a swing sensor and they use it like one time so this stupid thing said that the, this player was 10 degrees swinging down 10 degrees and they were just hitting they were in a cage this is a bad cage they're just hitting rockets off the back of the cage line drives this this thing doesn't work it's like ah not sure about that yeah because what if those line drives are going off the back of the cage about three feet off the ground that's not a line right drive. At seventy-five percent of their peak velocity. Yes. Because yeah. you cut the ball. Yeah. 
Which gets back to the plyos, right? The Right. Yep. <laughs> there you go. The feedback. I'll let you go. You had any good energy drinks lately? I haven't, no. Uh just coffee. Just a black coffee, man. I'm a I'm a coffee guy and if I'm like out on the road, if I'm like traveling, I'll stop and get a rain or yeah. Um, I actually probably prefer rain over bang personally. Um, that's, yeah. that is just me. I actually really like monsters too. Ooh. Um, so I'll, uh, also mix in a monster every, every now and then when I'm on the road, but I'm more of a stop and grab an energy drink. Uh, when I'm on a long trip, that's, that's, that's more my energy drink sweet spot. So there you go. Ready? Good books. Any good podcasts lately? Uh, I'm going through the obstacles the way right now. Um, love holiday, dude. It it will it will make you feel like you're soft, and you need to love Ryan so, Holiday. Have you uh, done any of the other Ryan Holiday books? I haven't. So this is the first one. My yep. my, my 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 wife read it. Now I'm reading it. It's also interesting right. to see like the 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 places where she highlighted things, and to see yep. like I wouldn't have highlighted that, but I'm going to highlight this. So like, yep. it, it is, that's uh, interesting. Is, it's uh, kind of cool to see that she's going through. So she read that first. She's reading ego is the enemy. Now ego is the enemy is phenomenal. And I'll do that after her. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm kind of late to the party on the Ryan holiday circuit. Steel, stillness is key is the third one in that, yep. in that trilogy. Yeah. It's also awesome. It yep. is also awesome. So I'm making my I, way. I that. may have told you this. I may not have. Ego is the enemy is the most ironic book in the history of the world. The people yeah. that are reading it, ego's probably not your enemy. If you're yep. reading this book, yep. If you're not reading this book, you probably should be. Yeah. I don't have an ego. So if you don't think you need it, if you don't yep. think you need it, then you probably do. Yes. It's the most ironic book of all time. That's like that's most a, of the people. Look at it. It's the it's most people that I know that have that I have said read this book, and they read it. They probably didn't. They probably, but the, there's thoughts and ideas in that book. It's like, dang, that's really good. Yeah, yeah. Dang, I'm, that's really I'm good. Uh, looking forward to getting to it at at uh, some point once I'm able. To I told it. Kyle Harris. I told Kyle Harris about Ryan Holiday. Like you got to get on. You got to get on. Oh, he's awesome. Play. Uh, I have followed him on social media for a while and yep. I like I get a lot of the daily stoic stuff and yep. um you know Marcus Marcus Aurelius stuff and, yep. you know I, I get a lot out of that stuff and have for the last several years I just haven't read yep. the full books um so yeah I, I'm I'm excited to get into them Yep I think I have the books and I've done the the audio books are really good I've probably done the audio books a couple times each because just I drive back and forth to Bristol a yeah. lot. And so oh, yeah. it's an hour and a half each way. And just I've probably done them a couple times through the years. Yeah. All right, man. I'll let you go. Cool. Round three with Caleb Abney. I continue to hope and support that your coaching journey, you end up and fall somewhere where somebody's going to appreciate you. Uh, yeah. Because. I don't know. I will. I won't say it's not hard to appreciate you, but like the depth of the depth of skill development knowledge that you have, like Mike McC Mike McCrary, somebody mm -hmm. like that, where yeah. he would he he understands the depth of skill development and acquisition and appreciates your position and your yeah. position on what you knowledge you have and the knowledge that you're going to learn. Yeah. For sure, 
I appreciate that. I appreciate the plug. Any any uh, time you're giving it to me, it's uh, yep. It is uh, it is it is it is humbling. So I appreciate that. Yep. For sure. No, for sure. Brian Eisenberg and I talked about that. It's like Twitter's a great place to like find really awesome people. You know, without Twitter, I I I've met you because you were at King, but like I probably don't meet Brian, Kyle Harris. I never talked to. Uh, several people that I've done the podcast with. That I'm from a little small place in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. You know, Twitter's an awesome thing. It Twitter's is. an awesome thing. For sure. All right, dude. Have a good day. We'll All catch right. up. We'll catch up again with part four. Hopefully, hopefully, it's got you landed somewhere putting up stats that people notice because I know it's going to happen. Love it. I appreciate right, it, dude. man. All right. All we'll right. talk soon. All right. See you. All right. See you.